The Lord said to Gideon, the people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands. Lest Israel will boast over me, saying, my own hand has saved me. Now, therefore, proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then 22,000 of the people returned, and 10,000 remained. And the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. Take them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. And anyone of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, shall go with you. And anyone of whom I say to you, this one shall not go with you, shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water. And the Lord said to Gideon, everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set him by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink, and the number of those who lapped, putting their hands to their mouths, was 300 men. But all the rest of the people knelt down to drink water. And the Lord said to Gideon, With the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand. And let all the others go, every man to his home. So the people took provisions in their hands and their trumpets. And he sent all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, but, re but retained th the 300 men. And the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. This is the word of the God. Maybe seated. Will you pray with me? God, thank you for this time to, to gather uh, before your word. Lord, we are uh, we're thankful for all the things that you have done for us. Uh, Lord, we, uh, we can complain easily. I know that I can because uh, I'm, I'm comfortable. Uh, and yet, God, in the midst of that, I, I overlook all of your blessings and I pray tonight, God, that as, as we come to your word, that all of us, including myself, that we would see your blessings and your victories that you have provided us and that we would boast in you and not over you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So a few housekeeping items before we, uh, we jump in tonight. One is, as you notice, the AC in the back is still off. We found out this week that the compressor blew which is not cheap. And uh, that's getting fixed tomorrow, so next week the full AC system will be back. Secondly, so we could like clap for that, right? Okay, never mind, we'll just keep it hot next week. Some of you don't care, that's wonderful. Um, the second thing with that is, uh, you know, in the midst of us trying to figure out how to troubleshoot this and get air to the kids, if you notice, this light went out because I think this whole wall blew, uh, so, Pray right now that nothing else blows, and uh, now you're nervous. Now you're like, oh, man, this is going to be a wild night. Um, but, you know, we're going to sort that out, and we're, we're grateful, you know, that we have this space. Even when the AC breaks, we have this space um, that is cooling down and is a wonderful place to worship God together. And so I'm, uh, I'm trying to remind myself that we are blessed even when uh, we face inconveniences. Secondly, a lot of you were singing during the uh, giving. That was awesome. Keep doing that. We're going to do, uh, I think we need to do a worship night soon. Who thinks we should do a worship night soon with the band? <laughs> see, you like worship more than AC. I see what's going on. So we'll do a non-AC worship night. That's coming up here soon. Mark your calendars. You know, we live, we live in an interesting world, right? We live in an interesting world because technology and social media has changed everything about our world. Particularly, 
in, in regards to how we compare ourselves with other people. This is something that, that's just true of human nature. We compare ourselves, we judge ourselves against others, and social media and technology has really heightened that. And it's changed the way that we communicate, not just through the mediums through which we communicate, the apps and the phone and the computer and iPads and all the different things, but the style in which we communicate has changed. We have a thing now that has been born out of this social media technology era called the humble brag. How many of you know about the humble brag? How many of you are guilty of a humble brag? You know, it's the, it's the text, it's the selfie uh, Instagram at six in the morning that says, tired, messy hair, but I did five days in a row because gains is life. It's that kind of like, you know, like the struggle's real, but look at me, I'm at the gym at 6 a.m. and what are you doing? It's that kind of tweet where you're, you, you write, in the line at Starbucks, really wanted a muffin. I got the last one, but I gave it to the guy behind me, hashtag pay it forward. You know what I mean? It's that kind of uh, humble brag that we, we put out there. We communicate like that actually now. In fact, there have been scientific studies on the humble brag. Can you believe this? Harvard and other institutions have studied the humble brag and you will not imagine what they came out with. People don't like it. People just don't like it. It's, uh, they're, they're not a fan of it. They'd rather you just be humble or brag. Like, don't mix the two. Just be like, hey, look at my successes. Look what I've done. But don't bring a false humility with it. But there's one really good thing that the humble brag has brought us. And that is the weird flex but okay memes. Have you seen these? How many of you have seen these? Unbelievable. I'm going to show you a few because it's so good. Here's the first one. Dairy Queen employee flips my blizzard upside down before giving it to me. Weird flex, but okay. That's unbelievable. Why do they do that? I don't know. Next one, I see dead people, alternate ending. Weird flex, but okay. Guys, amazing. Next one, you, you want thingamabobs? I've got 20. Weird flex, but okay. And the last one, my favorite, weird flex, but okay. If you have this car, no offense. But I, I, love, I love these memes because it's like, it's the humble brag. I got 20 thigamabobs. If you, if you want them, it's a weird flex. And the reason I bring this up is not just because I wanted to share these memes, though I really did just want to share these memes. But it's because tonight in the passage, we're going to be looking at boasting. In Judges chapter 7, the story uh, is the next installment in Gideon's story. And it's about boasting. What do you boast in? Are you boasting in God or over God? And what is your source of praise? And are you looking to garner honor and affirmation through different sources of communication, the way that you flex or humble brag? That's what this passage is about. But before we jump in to see the message and the truth that is coming out of this text, which, spoiler alert, it is that we should be boasting in God, not over God, as we'll see. We have to look and see what happened last week. If you were with us last week in Judges chapter 6, we were introduced to Gideon. But before that, we heard the repeated line of the next cycle that's been taking place at nauseum in the book of Judges, where it says at the beginning of the chapter, and the people of God did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Time and time again, they repeat this cycle where they are worshiping God, they're at rest, they're at peace, everything is going well, and then they turn away from God and they worship idols and false gods, particularly Baal and the Asheroth. These 
gods that will make them feel good and they kind of align themselves with culture and so they feel as if they're accepted and they keep running back to these gods. So they've done this now again and this time the consequences for their actions are severe. The Midianites come in, this really formidable foe that takes over Israel, kicks them out of their homes, plunders all their resources, and every time there's a season of harvest, takes all their crops so they're starving. No homes, starving, no resources. After seven years, the people of God finally cry out to God for help. They recognize the mess they've made. They're facing severe consequences, and they say, God, will you deliver us? And God responds as he's faithful to respond every time God's people cry out to him. But he responds differently than he does in the first few chapters of the book. He's going to bring a judge, which the book of Judges is about the judges who deliver God's people. But before he does, he brings a prophet, two different people. And the prophet comes to bring a sermon before God's going to bring salvation. The prophet comes and shares with the people that God has done all of these amazing things. Do they not remember who God is? All the victories from Egypt into the promised land through the conquering of Jericho and Joshua. God has been faithful and patient and kind. And he has asked God's people, do not worship other gods. I'm I'm bringing you victories and blessings. Just don't worship other gods. And they failed at it time and time again. You see, God brings a prophet or a sermon before salvation because the people of God need to see not just that their actions create negative consequences in their life, but they need to see the depravity of their heart, the ugliness of their sin, that they repeat this cycle time and time again. So they need to see their true need for mercy and rescue from God. And they receive this sermon and they cry out to God and then God brings them a judge. He's going to bring them salvation through the form of this man, Gideon. And Gideon is unlikely because Gideon is from the weakest and the poorest clan in all of Israel. Israel is poor as it is now because they're oppressed. Gideon is the youngest of his family of an economically and socially poor clan. He has nothing, no influence, no resources. And God comes to him and says, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon is relatable because... He's skeptical. He looks around and he says, God, it's been seven years of oppression. How are you with us? He has this faulty assumption that just because they're facing adversity, God is absent. But remember, God brought the prophet. And so he's still probably processing what the prophet spoke. And he's realizing that the sin that he has committed and, and others in worshiping these false gods has actually corrupted and brought about these consequences. And so he's, he's wrestling with God being with them in the midst of this trouble. And God says, I'm using you to be the solution. And he's really confused about that. He's like, I don't have anything to offer. Can you bring someone else? And God says, no, no, Gideon, you're the solution. Through this conversation, Gideon places his trust in God and he says, okay, I'll be the judge. I don't see how this is going to happen how I'm going to be the solution to deliver Israel from the Midianites, our worst oppressors yet, but I'm going to trust you. And he goes before gathering the army, and he tears down this altar to these false gods, Baal and Ashtaroth. It's actually at his father's house. He tears it down, and he replaces it with a monument to the Lord. Because there's a really important principle that comes out of this section, and that is 
that if you're going to find victory over the enemies and the obstacles in your life, you have to remove the enemies among you first. You see, there's only room in your heart for one God. And Gideon is told to to tear down the altars to these false gods so that the people would unite their hearts with the true God before they go to face the Midianites in battle. So they do this, and Gideon has now begun to gather the army. He's, he's influential. He took this courageous step to tear down these altars, and the people are coming around him, and they begin to gather this army. There's two armies, Gideon's army. They're inexperienced, and they're not nearly the level of army in terms of numbers or ability than the Midianites. And then we have the Midianites who are a formidable foe. They're a professional army. They've been oppressing God's people for seven years. These two different armies. And we look at Gideon and he begins to gather the troops. It's that scene in the movie, you know, where it's like kind of dusk and everything's dimly lit. It's the music is soft, but there's kind of some momentum to the music. You see Gideon inside of his tent and he's at this table and there's a map and his advisors are there and they're planning out the strategy. Okay, we're going to move the army here. We know where they are. We're going to surround them. Here's what we're going to do. And then it cuts out of the tent, and you see the different Israelite men that are going to be joining the army, and they're sharpening their swords and gathering their gear and putting on their armor, and they're kissing their kids. Their kids are crying, and the wife is trying to be strong and says, you come back to me, and they're hugging. It's that whole scene. They're all gathering together, and then there's that drone shot. You know, the drone shot where it pulls back, right? Pulls back, and you can see the whole camp now, and they're all moving. You hear a horn, and they're all moving through the camp, and they're kind of like a snake-like fashion going over the mountains. They're heading out to battle, and the anticipation is there. You know that soon there will be a fight, slow-motion action scenes and all. It is coming, and you follow them all the way over the mountains as they move towards the army of Midian. And they stop at this creek. They begin to encamp at this creek, and it cuts back to Gideon. The Midianites are just over the mountain in the valley. We look back at Gideon, and he's, you know, pacing and nervous. It's a huge battle. It's going to be fought tomorrow, and they don't have the experience nor the numbers. But he's trusting God. So he kicks everybody out of the tent, and he says, listen, I need to spend some time with God in prayer. And he goes before God, and he prays to God, and God responds to him. And here's what God says. The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel boast over me, saying, my own hand has saved me. Now, therefore, proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. That's not what you want to hear, right? Like, God, give me some strength, give me some courage, you know, you know let me know, give me peace that everything's going to work out okay. And God says, you got too many people. You got to get rid of some of them. I mean, they don't even know how to use a short sword. You saw one guy sharpening the back of the sword. I mean, but you got too many, and you need to tell some to leave. Here's what I want you to do, Gideon. I want you to go, and I want you to announce anyone that's afraid, go home. Gideon's probably thinking, that's all of them, right? Uh, you see, God says here that you need to dwindle the army down because right now the army has 32,000 men. And 
God's command is to dwindle the army because with this amount of men, when they achieve victory, Gideon and the army will be tempted to think that it was because of their own ability. It was because of their strength, their courage, their skills with the sword they didn't know they had, their strategy. And God says, I I don't want to even open that can of worms. I don't even want to allow that for, that for that to be a possibility. You see, the issue, he says here, is that the people will boast over me. They'll just boast right over me. Just forget that I was actually the one that was powerful, that I was the one that was strong, that I was the one that brought victory, that I am the God who blesses. They're going to go right over that, and they start garnering praise for themselves. This is our nature, right? Our nature is to take any opportunity we can to bring praise and attention to ourselves. Some of us may say, I don't like attention, but we find other ways, whether it's an obnoxious brag or a humble brag or a weird flex or just a normal flex. We're going to try to figure out ways for people to say, wow, you're so smart. You're so creative. You're so disciplined. You're so hardworking. You've achieved so much. You're so successful. We're always looking for that. Now, I want to be very clear. When God says the issue is that the people are going to boast over him, he's not saying that affirmation and encouragement is a negative thing. We all need affirmation and encouragement. In fact, it's a love language, right? Words of affirmation. We all need affirmation. It's not as if you're going to say, hey, listen, I'm going to bring some desserts to church on Sunday. One of the best things about this culture here at the church is that you guys bring desserts all the time amazing because I have a sweet tooth so I'm always excited to see who's bringing what challenges on gauntlet throw down if you're here and you're a baker maybe you're thinking hey listen I'm going to bring some cupcakes they're going to be amazing so you spend some time you bake cupcakes not really even sure how you do that but I know you put them in a thing and put them in the oven and then they're magical so you do that you make the cupcakes you bring them to church you're excited you're going to have people try the cupcakes everybody goes in the back after the service they're eating the cupcakes and they come over and they're like wow, you made this? This is amazing. This is so good. I've already had three. If you're, I've had seven for me. And then there's like, you're, you're a really amazing baker. These are amazing cupcakes. And you're like, listen, it wasn't me. God made these cupcakes. <laughs> like that, you don't have to do that. No, you made the cupcakes, okay? Like you had the hands, you had the recipe, you bought the ingredients, you used your oven. Like you made the cupcakes. It's not as if you have this like false humility of like, These are God's cupcakes, you know. Don't praise me. No, we need affirmation. We need encouragement. That's good. We all want people to recognize our our hard work and our achievements and the strengths that we have. It fuels us to go forward. But the issue is not that we need affirmation and we appreciate encouragement. The issue is that we are people that look to take credit for God's victories and his blessings. That's the issue. It's we're boasting in things that, honestly, we had very little to do with, if anything. These victories in our life and the blessings that God has given us. For instance, you may struggle with a vice or an addiction. And the temptation may be, when, if you find victory over that addiction and victory over that vice, is to tell people about your discipline and your accountability program and your strength and how you reframe the way that you think And that's why you're able to find victory. 
very little about God's grace and his strength and his peace and the people that he brought around you. Be tempted to communicate that way. Or maybe you were facing an adversity in your life and many people knew that and you moved through, you were strong and you stood firm and you found victory through adversity and people are coming around you, they wanna hear your story, they want you to share it. And you begin to talk about your grit and your fortitude and the power of positive thinking. Not to say that some of the, all these things may be involved, but where's God's victory? The strength that he has given you, the peace to move through adversity. You may receive a great promotion in work, or maybe you've achieved a lot in work, and people, when they spend some time around you and they hear about what you've done, they, they say things like, you have accomplished so much. It's unbelievable. You, you have really climbed the corporate ladder. You've really done so well, and the temptation is to Maybe not even say, because like, that's where you really feel like the humble brag really turns people off. But you think to yourself, yeah, I have. You know, I've, I've worked harder than most people. I'm smarter than most people. I've taken advantage of opportunities that other people don't. I go to bed earlier. I wake up earlier. I mean, I'm doing everything to hustle, and that's why I'm where I am. Instead of seeing that God gave you those talents, he gave you those resources, he gave you those opportunities, he put those people around you in your life. So you boast right over God and kind of bring the praise to yourself. Or maybe you're experiencing some blessings in your life that you never thought you'd enjoy. And the temptation is to think that you've earned those, that you're entitled to those, and not see that those blessings are God's grace to you. See, the issue isn't whether or not we need affirmation and encouragement. We all need that. The issue is that we boast over God. We kind of put God on the side and Bring the attention right back to ourselves. So we need to be really careful not to steal God's praise for more of our own personal praise. So I'm going to take a little bit of that from you, God, and put a little bit more at me because it feels good. We boast right over God. And God says to Gideon, I'm not going to let that happen. I can save you with one person or with thousands of people, but I want you and the rest of the Israelites to see that I am actually the savior and I am actually the deliverer. I am the one that is strong in the midst of this battle. You see, the people have got to made a mess of things because they've looked at their own heart and they've looked at them, themselves and they've been focused so much on them that they've turned away from God and chased after these idols. And God's like, we're not going to let that happen. I want you to see me for who I am, the power that I contain. So dwindle the army down. So Gideon goes out, and he makes the command, and there's 32,000 people in the army. He says, hey, if you're afraid, you're fearful, and you're trembling, you can go home. No repercussions, no judgment. Two-thirds of the army leave. 22,000 of the 32,000 leave. Can you imagine, like, watching that happen? You're like, are you going to leave? Are you going to leave? And they're just kind of like, we're out. Like, see ya. And then the 10,000 are there, and they're looking at each other, and they're maybe a little bit nervous, but then they think to themselves, no, this is good. We're the best of the best. We're strong. We're courageous. None of us are afraid. In fact, fear is contagious. So you know what? We got that out. All the fearful people are gone. We are going to do it. We're going to have all the honor. We're going to have all the glory. This is going to be amazing. We got this, guys. 10,000 strong. God speaks to Gideon again, and he says, here, I want you to do something else. I want you to tell everybody to go down to the creek, down to the river. Tell everyone to drink water. 
And as they drink water, you're going to separate everybody into two different groups. You're going to have one group is going to be the people that drink in a civilized fashion. You sit down next to the creek. You got the cup. You got the bowl. And you're going to drink civilized. Then you're going to have the, the, a group that it says, lap up the water like dogs. They're like, just like straight in, okay? Separate those people. Like, and Kenny's probably thinking, you might want to separate them anyway. You know, that's two different types of people. So one group, the civilized, 9,700. Dog drinkers, 300. 300 insane people, pretty much, is what you're looking at here. Maybe Gideon's thinking, this is good. We've got to get the dog drinkers out. Let's go with the civilized, courageous people. And then God says, send the civilized people home. Keep the crazies. Can you imagine? Like, you want me with, with them. Like the people that they had a cup, but they used both hands and the tongue. Like, that's who you want me with to fight the Midianites. 300. We had 32,000. Now we're at 300. It's a 99% reduction. And Gideon says, I'm going to do it. I trust you, God. I really believe. It's not easy. But I really believe that you can save me and all of your people with one or with 32,000. You can use me and 32 insane dog drinkers. I mean, you have to commend Gideon for his faith. You have to commend him for this leap of faith and the trust that he has in God and his ability and his strength. In fact, Gideon is commended for his faith in Hebrews 11. He receives honor. So you should show honor to Gideon for the way that he trusted the Lord. It's a really important principle here. And the principle is that when you boast in God and not over God, there's honor. See, we're consumed with looking for opportunities and, and avenues, conversations to, to bring honor to ourselves. People to notice us. We want our boss to see us. We want our coworkers to see us. We want our friends. We want random people on social media to see us. And write a nice comment. We want honor. We want praise. And so we think if we promote ourselves and we put ourselves out there, if we kind of talk a lot about all the things that we've accomplished and we boast right over God and bring the praise to ourselves, that's the way that we're going to find honor. It's actually the opposite. When you boast in God and not over God, there's honor, as we see with Gideon, as he trusts God. And he says, God, I'm, I'm going to trust you with me and these 300 dog drinkers, and we're going to go for it. I believe that you're able I want you to have the praise. It's not about me, it's about you. And Gideon is commended for his faith. He receives honor. You see, we're to place honor in the appropriate place. And when you place honor in the appropriate place, you receive honor in return. This is actually a principle in leadership. Many of you uh, are great leaders and many of you know great leaders and they have something in common. When a great leader leads a team or a company to success or to a great achievement, and the leader gets interviewed, and the interviewer, interviewer says to the, to the leader, you are so creative. How did you lead all these people to accomplish that? Your vision and the mission that you were able to accomplish, amazing. You know what good leaders say? Don't look at me. It's a team. 
credit is not mine. It is, it is this person's and this person's and this person is placing honor in the appropriate place because every good leader knows they could never get to where they are without everybody else around them. Good leaders place honor in the appropriate place and then they actually receive more honor for that. We see that in leadership, but in general and in life and certainly as we live our faith, as we place honor in the appropriate place, as we boast in God and not over God, there's actually honor there. The Apostle Paul serves as a great example of this principle. He speaks about how he had a thorn in his side, not a literal thorn, a figurative thorn in his side, a weakness that was constantly affecting him. And we don't know what the weakness was, but we know that other people knew what it was. And it was affecting his ministry, it was affecting his life. He was praying constantly, God, remove this weakness, remove this thorn from my side. And God never did. Why? Well, Paul has this chapter in 2 Corinthians 12 where it says that he says that God reminded him this. God says, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul, why am I not removing this thorn, this weakness from you? Because my power is actually made perfect in your weakness. I want you to see, Paul, that my strength or my grace is sufficient for you. You don't need to be fully strong. You don't need to present yourself as having it all together. It's okay to be weak and to acknowledge it. In fact, when you do, you will boast of my glory and you will find power because my power is made perfect in your weakness. And, and Paul responds, and here's what he says right after. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, not of my strengths, of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Paul says, I've been praying for this weakness to go away, but God will not bring it away. He will not take it away from me because God wants me to see that his grace is sufficient for me and that his power is made perfect in my weakness. So I will boast of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ will rest upon me. I want Christ's power to rest upon me. I want God to be glorified. I want to boast in God, not over God, because that's where honor is. So I'm going to let people know about my insecurities, about my weaknesses. I don't need to present myself as having it all together. I don't need to try to consume all the honor and all the praise from other people. In fact, I just want to keep deferring it because God's grace is sufficient for me. I don't need that. I think it's important to realize that God doesn't simply work despite our weaknesses. In fact, God works because of our weaknesses. Not in spite of them, but because of them. You see, when you admit that you're weak, you're actually strong. When you boast in God and not over God, there's honor. And when God's grace is sufficient for you, no matter the battles and the adversities you're facing, there's rest. Christ's power rests upon you. And this is where Gideon is at. The question is, what is Gideon going to do? God tells him, you got to take the 300 crazies with you, and you're going to conquer the Midianites. And Gideon, as we have been commending him and placing honor upon him for his faith, he says, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust that you're strong, even though we're obviously weak. I'm going to trust that you're able, even though it feels like we're not able. I'm going to trust that your grace is sufficient for me to give me rest because I'm, I'm freaking out a little bit. I'm going to boast in you and not over you and know that there's honor in that. 
So Gideon gathers the 300 together, and he says, here's what we're going to do. We're going to split into three companies, and we're going to go tonight over to the Midianites where they're camped, and we're going to surround them, and everyone's going to have a trumpet. Everybody got your trumpet. Everybody has a trumpet, and I want you to get a little torch that you're going to put in a glass jar. They're probably thinking, I mean, they're the craziest. They're like, this sounds like a great idea. So they're going like this we're fighting the Midianites with some trumpets and a torch. Here we go. So they're going. They're just asking, is there a creek there? You know, they want to go back in. So they're going. They're walking over. And Gideon says, I want you to follow my lead. So they all space out. They're overlooking the Midianites. Some of them, most of them are sleeping. Some of them are still by the fire, maybe. They have no idea what's about to take place. Gideon then all of a sudden, I don't know where, blows the trumpet. That's what all trumpets sound like. Then he smashes the jar with the torch on the ground, and the fire flames up. And all the others are like, I guess this is what we're supposed to do. So everyone's blowing the torch. It's all, all, the tor- all the horns are going off. All the trumpets are going off. They're smashing the torches to the ground. The fire is coming up. They're shouting, for the Lord. And then all of a sudden, the Midianites, they wake up in the middle of the night. They hear these Sounds these horns that are blowing all around them. They see the fire coming up from the ground as the torches are being smashed everywhere. And it says that they're terrified. Yeah, I would be terrified too. They have no idea how many people are out there. They have no idea what's going on. And they run. Gideon and 300 crazy dog drinkers have driven out the Midianites from their camp. They were fearful they were going to win with 32,000. And now with 300... They drive them out. And this is going to be the first of a sequence of victories that God is going to bring through Gideon to deliver his people from the Midianites and bring them freedom. Amazing. They do this. They go back, and you can imagine the conversation that they're having, right, with the rest of the army. Like, guys, you're not going to believe what happened. We blew some trumpets. We smashed the torches. They ran away. I mean, there is no way they can say, our strategy was great. That makes a lot of sense. We're strong. We're courageous. In fact, everybody else is like, how did you win with those guys? You see, all the praise and all the honor and all the glory is going to God because God wants them to see that he's actually the one that can bring victory through any adversity. With one person, with 32,000, with some trumpets, with a torch, he can conquer the un- the unconquerable foe. It's similar victory to how God brought victory over Jericho when they blew the trumpets. And the city that no one's ever captured, the walls came crashing down. You see, the the people of God will be praising God and giving glory and honor to God because it's obviously Him who brought victory. But they're also going to be trusting God in new ways. You see, from this point forward, they're going to When they face adversity, when they feel weak, hopefully this reminds them, God drove out the Midianites with 300 and some trumpets and a torch. Why would I worry? So he's saying, why would I worry? If God is for us, if God is with us, he's strong. It's an important truth that true strength is truly weak. True strength is truly weak. When you realize that you're weak 
and that you really honestly, as much as we try to present ourselves as having it all together, when you don't really have much to offer in the way of adversity and addiction and conflict and difficulty as you face battles in life, formidable foes, when you realize that you're really truly weak, that's when you're actually strong. And this is the basis not only for how we're to live our life, boasting in God, not over God, understanding that true strength is found when we're truly weak. It's not only the basis for how we're to live our faith in relationship to God and relationship with one another, but it is actually the basis of salvation itself. You see, if you think that you can earn God's love or his forgiveness by your religious activity or how good you are, you will not receive his love. You see, you receive God's transforming love when you realize that you have nothing to offer. When you're broken and weak and you come before God and you say, God, I have nothing. I'm entitled to nothing. I'm not good. I'm broken. I'm weak. In fact, I'm like your people here in the book of Judges. I, I keep repeating the same cycles, running to idols. This is actually when you receive the transforming love of God. When you see God's love for truly what it is. And maybe you're here and you, if you evaluate your relationship with God or your pursuit of God, if you were honest, you would say that the love in your relationship with God is, is a little twisted or cheap. I know some of you here are on the path and are on the journey of pursuing God. You're asking questions and you have a lot of doubts. And we say this all the time here. I, I love to say that you can belong here before you believe. We really do mean that. That you can doubt and you can ask questions. But I want to challenge you a little bit. There's a great song by one of my favorite artists. And uh, isn't the artist is named uh, Bon Iver. Any fans? No? Okay. <laughs> Spotify. He has a song called Skinny Love. And uh, he says, uh, come on, skinny love, what happened here? And as you read the song, you realize what he's saying is that skinny love is love that has no weight to it. It's, it's love that's consumed with itself. It's, it's love that's all about your own need for affirmation. So you love someone, but really just to feel affirmed about yourself. There's no real love. It's selfish. If you're here and you're processing faith, we want to walk with you on that journey, but I also want to ask you not to settle for, for skinny love. Don't settle for love with no weight, remaining in your passivity and being like, you know, I'm not going to actually trust and faith in God until I feel affirmed of all my doubts and all my questions because you're never going to get there. We all struggle with doubts and questions. And maybe God tonight is calling you to say, you know what? I'm going to leave my baggage at the creek. I'm going to take my 300 with me, the weakness that is around me, all my doubts, and I'm going to take a step towards you, God, and trust you. Maybe you're here tonight and you know God. You've been going to church for a while. You would identify as a Christian. But if you're honest, you would identify your relationship with God as containing skinny love. Love with no weight. It's really more about you feeling affirmed that you're safe before God 
than ascribing praise and glory and honor as we sing magnifying God and glorifying God. It's more about feeling affirmed in your own character and feeling affirmed that you're safe. And so maybe you read your Bible sometimes and you pray sometimes and you come to worship with God's people sometimes and you engage in some different Christian functions, but it's really to feel affirmed yourself than to worship and honor and hand God over your life. You see, skinny love is a dangerous type of love because if you don't recognize that you're actually weak and you deal with your insecurities and your doubts and you come before God and say, God, I don't have anything to offer. When you come weak before God, you see the strength of God's grace and his love for you. You see that he loves you because of your weakness, not just in spite of. You see, the only way you can come to God and find real love, not just skinny love, is when you understand your debt, the debt that you owe. You see, if I told you that I paid your medical bills, you would maybe say, wow, that's amazing, thank you. It's a very moving act. But if you didn't know how much you actually owed, you would say, that was a really generous gesture, but maybe after a few months or a little bit of time, you'd just kind of move on. Just someone did something nice for you. But if I paid your medical bills, and you knew your medical bills were thousands upon thousands upon thousands of dollars, and you have been staying up all night thinking, how am I going to pay these bills? How am I going to finance this? This is going to alter my life. I don't know if I can ever pay this debt off. And I came to you and I said, hey, I've, I paid your bills. The debt's gone. Our relationship has changed forever. It's not just a moving act. It is an act that alters our relationship because it's a a different type of love, a love with real weight. You see, many times I think people in the church, people that are pursuing Christ, they'll say this, Jesus Christ died for sins on the cross. It's true. But that's skinny love. If it just ends there. It's really, there's no weight to that. It's just a statement. It's Jesus did an act that was moving, but you could kind of run away from that. But if you say, Jesus died for my sin because I'm broken and weak and I have nothing to offer, and without him, I have no hope, that's a different type of love. That's real love. That's love with weight. That's love that changes your relationship with God and then affects your relationship with others. Because you understand who you are before God. And you boast in him, not over him. You see his grace, his unmerited favor, his love as transforming, his strength as necessary for you to fight every battle in your life. Because you can't fight it alone. You see, when you recognize the weakness of your own righteousness and your own character, you find the strength of God's grace and his ability to save you. It's why we have weaknesses. It's why we need to be okay with our weaknesses before each other and before God. Because we will begin to praise just like the Apostle Paul and say, you know what? God's grace is sufficient for me. And when I'm weak, I'm actually strong. 
So I don't need to be consumed with boasting in myself or hoarding honor and praise for myself. I can boast in you, God, because of your grace and your goodness and your love for me. Will you pray with me? God, we come to you in prayer often, and I know that I come hurried to accomplish a task I know I'm supposed to perform. But God, tonight, I, I, I ask that as we prepare as your people to come before your table, that you would really fill us with your presence and with your love. That as we pray and as we taste the, the bread and the wine or the juice, that it would be a means of grace. It would be strength. It would be a reminder of your faithfulness, of your patience, of the victories that you've given us. So God, I, I, I pray that you would give us a, an accurate assessment of our relationship with you, that you would convict us where necessary, and Lord, draw us back to you with your love. You don't call us to yourself with judgment or through shame or through guilt. You invite us in with love. So God, I pray that we would run to you this evening and find joy, find you Savior, King of our life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I was thinking this week about as we prepare to come to the table, and uh, I was reading in, in Revelation uh, where Jesus says, anyone who opens the door when I knock, I will come in. Jesus is knocking on the door. If you hear and you open, he will come in, have relationship with you. You know, I think a lot of times we think of this in regards to that moment where you place your faith and trust in Jesus for the first time. And if that's you here, if you were that person that you felt as if you are keeping a distance from God before you have all of your affirmation, you feel affirmed through all of your doubts, and I'm going to offer a prayer in a moment. And if, if you want to pray that prayer and, and open the door to Jesus and, and step into that relationship with your doubts, with your weakness, and find his grace and his love for you, I'm going to give you that opportunity in a moment. But you know, that verse also can be true of those of you here that believe in faith in Christ. You may be knocking at the door because you've been running away from him. You've been rebelling from him. You've been repeating the same cycle. You've been hoarding attention and praise for yourself instead of boasting in him. Presenting yourself as strong instead of admitting that you're weak. And Jesus may be knocking tonight in this moment and saying, open it. Return back to me, not with skinny love, but with real love, with weight. I'm going to invite you to kind of do an assessment of your heart. And come to the table if you believe in faith in Christ. You believe in his death and his resurrection, not just as a statement, but his death for your sin, his burial and his resurrection over the dead for you to have life. If you believe in that, this table is for you. To come and know that this is a sign and a symbol of God's love for you, available to you as Jesus knocks. 
If you're here tonight and you're still processing faith, this is a table of faith. And so I want to encourage you to to remain seated if you have not placed your faith in Christ. But I'm going to give you a moment, a time to do that here before I invite the deacons forward. So will you pray with me as we prepare and then I will serve the deacons and we'll have wine on this side and grape juice on this side. And we'll invite you forward in a moment to take the bread and dip it in the wine or the grape juice, partake of it up here and then return to your seats. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you for this table. We know that you are knocking at the door of our heart. Would we open it and receive you? Those of us here, God, that have known you for a period of time, maybe it's grown cold. We sense your presence and your strength and your love and your grace here in this table. Would it transform us, God? For anyone here, God, that feels a tug and a pull on their heart to to walk towards you in faith, even with their doubts and their weakness. We pray, God, that we would utter a, a simple prayer to you. And if that's you, you can just pray this to yourself. God, I come before you weak, empty, entitled to nothing. I come to you with doubt, with weakness. God, I believe that you're strong. Jesus, I believe that you died for me, for my sin on the cross, and that you rose from the dead, that you are my Savior. God, teach me how you can be Lord of my life, how you can be my Savior and my King. Surround me with people that will walk with me and be patient as you are patient with me. It's in Jesus' name we pray.